All right, let your uh, minds run forward to December 31st, 2022. So that's coming up here in a number of months. And you got two engagements that day. The first one in the morning is a funeral of a dear friend of yours, someone who you knew pretty well and really loved. And in the evening is a New Year's Eve party with some of the most fun people you know. Which one would you rather go to? Which one do you think is more beneficial for you? Turn to Ezekiel 7. He actually has an answer for us to that question. Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes, they're close, the same first letter. We're in Ecclesiastes, verse 7, chapter 7. Wow. I'm getting all my mistakes out early, so hopefully the rest will come real smooth. Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. He's going to answer that question for us. Which one's more beneficial for us, to go to that party with all our fun friends or to go to that funeral with that person who we love, who we lost? Chapter 7, I trust you there. I'm going to start in verse 2 as it says this. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. There it is. Morning engagement is the house of mourning. It's a funeral, a wake, or whatever, a time when you're grieving the loss of someone you love. Then to go to a house of feasting, that is the New Year's Eve party. And actually, I did this once. I did a funeral for a relative on the morning of New Year's, and that evening went to a party. But he says this, this is the reason why it's better because that is the end of every man. Every one of us is going to take a turn there. And then he says this, and the living take it to heart. There's something about funerals that if we receive them properly and our heart's in the right place, that should send us a message as we grieve and we love the people that are there and want to comfort them. There should be a, a reminder each one of us is, you know what, my turn is coming someday up there as well. And then he says this in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Grieving is better than having a great party and laughing it up. For when the face is sad, a heart may be happy. Let me tell you how that reads literally in the Hebrew. When a face is sad, the heart becomes better. Those of you that have a New Living Translation, if you're using that this morning, this is the way it reads. Sadness has a refining influence on us. The grieving, the sadness, the pain of, of that loss has a way to refine us. So he says in verse 4, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. 
Bottom line, the pain, the sorrow, the grief that comes with the death of a loved one has the potential to refine us and transform us, to change us at the core of our being. And if you've been, and I'm so glad to hear, so many people have been reading along during this series in Ecclesiastes, and to not address death would be missing a main theme that Ecclesiastes talks about. This is a theme that comes up over and over and over again in the book. Now, I want to encourage you before we go too far. Some of you are going like, oh, you're kidding me, man. I should have went out to breakfast this morning. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you guys are thinking that right now by your response. What are we doing here, man? I should have went and got some eggs and bacon and enjoyed it. But, you know, I want to tell you, this is a message about living. So hang with me because bottom one, I'm going to tell you right up front, Solomon uses the fact that we're going to die as motivation to live life to the fullest right now. So don't worry about getting freaked out and all gory. And man, this guy, man, what am I doing here today? This is the most depressing service I've ever been to. By the end, I'm hoping it'll be one of the most motivating services you've ever been to, to live your life to the fullest. And this isn't just for those who are above 70. God according to Psalm 139, has placed the day of each one of our deaths in a book before we're even born. And it's possible there's some people today here who are 70 who are going to live longer than some who are 20 because we don't know what God's going to do. So uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is considered wisdom literature. We're going to learn some wisdom today how to live in light of the fact that we're all going to die. And there's some truths I want to share with you. First in Ecclesiastes, what it tells us about death, and then we'll move in to say what lessons we should learn because of that. So really, there's four emphasis that this book places regarding death that come up over and over again. And the first one we find in chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. I'm going to take you to a lot of verses. We'll be pretty much camped in this book. A couple verses outside of it, but... The first thing we see over and over again in this book is that life really is fleeting by. It's only temporary. Listen to uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? Now he describes his lifetime during the few years of his futile life, he will spend them like a shadow. Man, it's just like, a, ooh, that thing flies by. It's just, ooh. So the first thing we see over and over again is that life is really fleeting by. And I can tell you, you know, I turned 40 just last year, and I'm amazed how quick life is flying by. I imagine those of you that are older could even testify to that more so. I just quenched the spirit, didn't I? <laughs> Lord, forgive me, church, forgive me. But anyhow, life really does fly by. You always say, whoa, man, I felt like, I just remember yesterday going down the block to go to grade school, and now all of a sudden, here I am. And so the first truth we see over and over again, Ecclesiastes, is that life flies by. Matter of fact, we saw this in a message a few years ago in Psalm 39, put this verse up here. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. 
Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths, like, like this, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Every man at best is a mere breath. Now, when he's talking about when God looks at our life, our life looks like just a mere breath. Now, God is eternal. <laughs> so God looks at life from this beginning to end when there's really no beginning and no end. So when I put my life in that perspective and the way God sees it, it's like a mere breath when I compare it to eternity. Um, we, when we talked about this before, basically to do my exegesis well, I t- took out a stopwatch and I timed my breaths. Two seconds between my breaths. So I, I call this the two-second life. This life, in light of those of us that know Jesus and the eternity that we're going to live, if you want to compare what it's like, it's like two seconds compared to eternity. It's like a breath. So I guess I would say to myself and to you, which one am I going to be investing in more? <laughs> Where am I going to want to make sure that I'm ready for and prepared for and have all my riches stored up at It's going to be that one that's eternal, not the one that's just two seconds. So the first thing we learn about life in Ecclesiastes is it is fleeting, it is short, it's running by quickly. The second thing we find in chapter 9, turn to chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. He says this, It is the same for all. There's one fate. In other words, every person in this room, matter of fact, every person in this world has the same fate. There's one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the heart of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their life. Insanity is that same word we looked at in... um, Chapter 1, verse 17, when I gave that illustration, it's just, it's being stupid. It's living a foolish life. It's the kind of life a wise man looks at and says, you know, we say, they're crazy. What are they doing? That's nuts. You said that before about people and what they're doing. That's what he's saying here. That potential's in every one of us to do things that are just absolutely, eternally insane and crazy for us to do. But then here's this point afterwards, they go to the dead. Every one of us. Every person takes their turn. No one escapes this fate. So we see that life is short. Everyone is going to die. Um, turn back to chapter 2, I believe. Verse 
I'm pausing because I still hear pages turning. I want you to be able to see it in God's word. He says this, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I've labored by acting wisely under the sun. Nobody takes anything from this world with us into eternity. One of our professors, Bob, you probably heard this in seminary, Dr. Hendricks used to always say he's never been to a funeral where he's seen a U-Haul attached to the casket. And so, you know, so many of us live like this is all there is and this is what I'm going to invest my whole life in. The reality is we take nothing with us. Life is short. It is going to be an end for all of us and we're going to take nothing with us. And then in chapter 3, we learned that we have no control over the day of our death. I like what a friend said to me once. I was doing, being stupid, as a, you know, he's, he, he was very health conscious, and it was here at church, we had donuts available, and I'm, I love donuts, I love a lot of things. So I'm stuffing down the donuts, and I go, I don't, I don't have to worry about it, God already determined the day I'm going to die, so I'm just going to eat my donuts and have a good time. And he said this to me, he said, you're right, God has determined the day you're going to die, but you determine the quality of your life until then. I was like, whoa, <laughs> maybe I won't take that fourth donut this morning and I'll just have three. I'm going to diet today. But there's a lot of truth to that, by the way. That's just a side note. Uh, yes, God has determined the day we're going to die. We have no control over but we have great control over the quality of our life while we're alive. And we need to invest in that. But the point here is that there's an, we're in verse 1 of chapter 3, there's an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. God has appointed the day of our death already and we have no control over it. We learned that in James uh, chapter 4, I think it's verse 15 when he said, you know, you who say, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to do that, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to make a success, he says this. What you ought to say is this, if the Lord wills, I'll live and do this or that. My life is in the hands of God and what he's determined for me. It's out of my control. Then in chapter 9, we see one more thing about death in this book that's impressed upon us will be in verse 12 of chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Verse 12, he says this. Man does not know his time. We don't know when we're going to die. Like fish caught in a treacherous net. What happens to a fish that's caught in the net? They die. Birds trapped in a snare. What happens in a snare? That thing pierces through them. They die. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Man, we're feeling fine, and all of a sudden, whoa, I'm feeling this pain under here. I, 
reached up in the shed just to grab something. And you know what? It's three weeks now. That pain hasn't gone away. What's going on? All of a sudden I go to the doctor. He says, you know what? I hate to tell you. There's more to it than just a pulled muscle here. And the next thing you know, you're on a brand new journey in life. None of us know when the time is when we're going to die. It's beyond our control. And then he goes on further. He talks about death. And he tells us here in chapter 9, look at, uh, look at back at verses, and we're going to camp here in chapter 9 for a while, verses 4, 5, and 6. He talks about the nature of death. And when we put this all in context, what he's trying to say is this. He really uh, embraces this, uh, in brackets this section with the idea that once we die, we no longer can participate in what's going on in life. This chapter is not meant to be a exposition on what death is like. This chapter is supposed to be a motivation for me to live a certain way because I can no longer participate in the things that are taking place here on earth. And so listen as I read this, in, in, uh, starting in verse 4. For whoever is joined with all the living, there's hope. You're alive. There is still hope for you. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. A lion is considered the king of the forest. A dog is looked down as filthy and, you know, in that culture. Well, you know, it's better to be a, a living dog than it is to be a dead lion. For the living know that they're going to die. They still can think, they still have these abilities. Nor, um, but the dead do not know anything. Again, this is not a picture of what new life is like for those who know Jesus. This is a picture of their connection with life here on this earth. They no longer uh, know anything, nor have they any longer a reward for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal, all their passions have already perished, and here's the point, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. So what he's doing here, and this is where we make a big change in the message because now we're seeing a change in the passage, he's using death as a powerful teacher and motivator for us to not miss out on the opportunities we have today while we're still alive. So I'm going to show you the four things he gives us in light of that, of saying, here's four things you should be focused on because you still have hope, you still can think, you still can engage, you still have passions, you still can enter into everything that we have available to us here on earth. And so we're going to see four wise ways to live in light of that. He starts with verse 7. He says this, go then. So here he's taking this whole theme, and now he's driving it with, now, this is what you should do. Because we learned all this truth. It's beyond our control. We don't know when it's going to happen. You can't participate anymore on the earth here. This is all what chapter 9 is about. Then he says this, go then. This is what you ought to do in light of all this truth. Eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. First thing, enjoy life. 
Enjoy this opportunity you have. We've seen it in the refrains as we have saw earlier in this book. And he talks about, you know, the ability to see good in what we do and to enjoy the simple things in life like eating and drinking. And so the first thing we learn, he's telling us, is, you know what, man? Enjoy this thing. And we're going to talk more in the weeks to come. If you're not enjoying it, this is the time to address it. Because a lot of people aren't enjoying life, and a lot of people are frustrated. When we look in two weeks, we're going to see what we need to do to be able to enjoy this life. But the first thing we, we, we learn here is enjoy the gift you have today of life. Then the second thing we see is in verse 8. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. You know what he's saying here? Make every day special. How do I know that? Because the only time they wore white clothes in that culture and put oil on their head was when they were going to a special occasion. And so now he's saying, guess what? Let your clothes be white all the time. And let not oil, don't let it be lacking on your head. Always live every day as if it is a special day. I'm wondering how you and how I have taken today and our plans for today and how we're planning for it to be special. You know, so many of us in North America are driven by our to-do list. And when I say driven, I'm, I'm talking about we're internally driven. And it isn't only those to-do lists that are out on paper, it's that to-do list in our heart. And there never seems to be an end to that. And we never are able to slow down and enjoy the few things we have and make them special because we're always being driven by this to-do list. This never end. Brothers and sisters, this is going to take intentionality and this is going to say pruning a few things out of my life. It's okay if I wait till tomorrow to do this. It's okay if it waits till next week because I got to prune down this thing that's driving my life to keep on working forever and prune it down to the place where I can not only enjoy life, but I can make it special. There's a third thing here we see. Verse 9. Enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. Enjoy life with your mate. Hey, no kissing in church, guys. <laughs> but I'm glad you're applying the scripture, so I guess there should be kissing. But let me tell you, not everybody's got a mate. Um, some are still waiting for their mate, and some have lost their mate. I want to apply it this way. It's very true to say, enjoy life with the special friends that God has given you. Jesus said this, and you know, Peter said, hey, we left everything to fly. What do we have? Jesus said, you know what? You have way more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And, you know, and so God provides special friends as gifts to us. So I want those of you who are single or widowed or divorced, as you think about this passage the truth is this, God has put special people in your life and you need to enjoy life with those special people. 
the reason? All the days of your fleeting life. It's going by, guys. There will be an end to this, and it's flying by, so you better enjoy it while you can. I'll never forget going to visit a guy who came here for years. His name was Don. used to sit right over there. I called him the Marlboro Man. If some of you remember a guy that looked like the Marlboro Man here, that's who I'm talking about. Big guy, put my hand in his hand. It was like shaking hands with a giant. I mean, he, he was a handsome man, big man, humble man, loved Jesus, loved his wife, but his wife died. And about six months later, I went to visit Don to just say, how you doing, bro? Went over to his house, going to spend some time with him. And one of the things he said I never forgot, he said, Pat, retirement isn't all it's cracked up to be. So what do you mean by that, Don? He says, you know, you get there, and his wife happened to, you know, they retired and cancer and cancer. So her health went downhill, and then she died. He says, you know, you finally get there. You've been dreaming all your life, making all these plans. And you get there, and either one of you doesn't have the health to pull it off, or one of you dies, and all those dreams go in the ground with them. I was like, whoa. Wow. What a wake-up call. And what he's saying here is, guys, enjoy it while you got it. Whether it be a special friend or whether it be a mate, enjoy life with them. Because this is God's reward to you in life and in the toil that you've done under the sun. Let me do a quick sidebar here. I, it came to me this morning. I said, Lord, if you want me to say it, bring it back. He did. You know, when I went to visit Don, I was so encouraged by this. That morning, a woman from our church stopped by with a freshly baked pie. And I got the fruit of being able to eat that. So I was enjoying life with Don that day. But you know what impressed me was this. I'm like, wow. She, she wasn't in some ministry at Moraine that says, we got to go do this for people who've lost a mate. She's just somebody else in the body that had lost a mate themselves. And they knew, and this was a younger woman, and they knew what he must be going through, and they baked him a pie. He was so touched by that. And I was so touched, because guess what, guys? Ministry is loving other people in Jesus' name. You know, we, we had our ice cream social last week and had a great time. And, uh, you know, as we were talking about it, and, I, and there, were, there's, there were three people there that I'm aware of that have the gift of helps, gift of mercy, they're just there helping people whenever they need something. They're just there loving on them, encouraging them, taking opportunities to do whatever. And I remember one sister was sharing about things she does, and I said, wow, that was a great ministry you have. They go, ministry? I never thought about that as ministry. You know what happens to us? We get locked in this thinking, the only things that count as ministry are things that are done at 6300 West 127th Street in a structured program at a certain time that they say that counts as ministry. 
So we got people who are serving and loving people in Jesus' name all over in practical ways. It could be a call during the week to encourage somebody to pray with them. Could be a visit to take a meal over. It could be just a, a warning. It could be a hundred different ways that people are just ministering to people. That's ministry. And yes, we give opportunities here for us to minister to one another in a structured way, which is also ministry. But I'm concerned because there's people who are loving Jesus well and serving others well, they feel they're not doing enough because they're not in one of the official ministries of Moraine and what I'm doing doesn't count as ministry. And only if I jump into their slots, then does it count as ministry. You know, brothers and sisters, ministry is people ministering to people in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are. You're in ministry at work. You're in ministry at school. You're in ministry watching your kids and your grandkids. Whenever you go in the name of Jesus and you bring something of God in his heart to those people in his word, you're ministering in Jesus' name. And I just, I just felt led to share that today because that's what hit me when I visited my friend Don is to see how somebody else in the body uh, not paid to do it, not told to do it, not in a structured ministry, just took it of their own heart and said, I'm going to go bless that person. That's ministry. There's one more thing he talks about in verse 10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Live life to the fullest. Why? For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. Once again, live life to the fullest now because that opportunity is going to come to an end. This is the theory I try to live under. Maybe I preach it more than I practice it. Maybe my wife can testify to that and the couple I shared this with on Friday. <laughs> But this is what I, I try to do is this. Do everything you can to live your life to the fullest to accomplish what you want to do. But limit yourself only to that which you can do with passion and joy. I see a lot of people that are burnt out and angry and constantly doing, and, and you know what? My encourage, and I've told Kim this many times, not that she's one of those walking around angry and burnt out, but I say, baby, when you look at your to-do list, work as long as you have joy. Once the joy runs out, it's time to stop. Because what happens is, is people, then they kind of move from I'm enjoying this to now I'm a little bit cranked off that I got this big list of stuff doing. And why isn't so-and-so over here helping me do that? And now everything's turned from a chance to do something with a whole heart as unto the Lord with gratitude and joy. And now I become a cranky person who's complaining because nobody else is doing it. You follow me? Do everything you can to accomplish what you believe you want to do in life. Live it to the fullest, but limit yourself to that which you can do with passion and joy. Let that be your guide on how to live life. Those are the four principles that we learn. That Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus, said, because we're all going to die, you need to learn to enjoy life 
Make every day special. Enjoy it with that special friend or mate and live it to the fullest. Now here's the problem. Even as I worked on the sermon, I says, you know, you probably could have heard this same message at a Toastmasters club this week or maybe even the local atheist club. Because where's Jesus in this? Where's God? Just enjoy life? <laughs> Live it to the fullest? Enjoy your mate and your friends? I mean, uh, isn't that the same message the whole world's giving us? But Solomon adds one more thing to do in light of the fact we're going to die. And it's in chapter 12. Turn to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Verses six through seven. Listen to what he says. He's gonna give us a number of, of images to picture for us death here. And then he'll say it as clear as can be. But he says this in verse six. Remember him. Remember God. Remember Jesus before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Those are the four images he gives to picture death. Then he says it straight out loud. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. You know, guys, this is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is when he's closing it all up. What he's saying is that everything in this whole book and everything in our life needs to be lived in the context with remembering God, keeping him at the center of everything I'm doing. And for us, that's remembering Jesus. That means I'm going to remember Jesus when I'm enjoying life. And again, we're going to talk about that more in two weeks. I hope you're here for that. We're going to remember God when we make every day special. We remember God when we're enjoying it with our special friends and our mates. And we're going to remember God when we're living it to the fullest. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, enjoying life. Turn back to chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2, here's one of the refrains. You've heard the refrains before. Verse 24 of chapter 2, he says this. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. You know, this word labor is good, very interesting. What did God do at the end of creation? He looked at his work and he said, this is very good. God was satisfied with his work. It's the exact same word for good that's in Genesis chapter 1. You know, it's godlike to take a look at what I've done and say, this is good. Of course, there's an arrogance to it that could stink it up. But there's a healthy sense of looking at what I'm doing and saying, this is good. This is good. This also I've seen is that it's from the hand of God. The ability to enjoy life and the ability to see good in what I do is a gift of God. 
And so when I talk about enjoying life, you know, you, you can say, man, you could be like, say, I'm going to go grab all the gusto I can get. Or you can say, you know, I'm going to live this in light of God and in this context because, because joy and the ability to see good in what I do in my life comes from God. It's a gift of God. So the first, and you know, can I tell you what? This is what I've seen. I've seen it in my life. I started practice years ago. It's been a gift. And I see that there's others who need it here. I won't tell you who I think it is, but you can say it for yourself. When you start practicing gratitude, you find joy. Because you know what happens with most of us? We look at what we don't have and we get discouraged and depressed. And we think, wow, you know what, I wish I had that, they got that, and look at their ministry and look at their cars and look at their house and look at their second house and look at their, you know, look at their mate and all that other stuff and you say, man. And so we look around and we're dissatisfied, discontent, and we start to complain because we focus on what we don't have. You wanna, you wanna kick that? in the butt, I guess that's what I was gonna say, so I'll say it. Start practicing gratitude for what you do have. And when you begin to focus on what you do have, the gifts that God has given you in life, then my heart changes because now my focus is on what I have rather than what I don't have, and I become grateful to God for the gifts he's given me rather than going complaining to God and say, God, you only gave me this, and you only gave me that, and you should have gave me this. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to enjoy life in the context of God, the one who gives us the ability to enjoy life. Then second of all, how about making every day special? Colossians 3.17, I put this one up here for you. I think I did. Do you guys have that? I don't, there it is. I'll wait for you to see it. If we can put it on the big screen too. Maybe for some reason it's not able to, let me read it to you. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever. Do it in the name of the Lord. You know what the name of the Lord means? I'm representing the Lord. If I was to go to the store and say, I'm coming here on behalf of Moraine Valley Church. I'm coming here in the name of Moraine Valley Church. Then they know I'm a representative of Moraine Valley. When I, whatever I'm doing in life, I should be doing it in the name of Jesus Christ as an official representative of him. So when I start to think of, well, I need to go enjoy life, make everything special, well, what I want to limit that to is what would Jesus do because now I'm a representative of Jesus and I'm coming in his name. I was thinking about that. Kim, and you do such a great job at uh, making things special. I remember the lesson Max taught you uh, on that. But you know what? If just one of your buddies was coming over or buddyettes for the ladies, is coming over for lunch on Tuesday, you know, you get the stuff ready. What if Jesus was coming over? 
What would you do to make it special? That's what this verse is saying. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all as a representative of Jesus Christ. Do it as unto the Lord rather than unto man. And so, yes, make every day special and make it special within the context of Jesus and representing him. But yeah, we got to prune some things away and to, to, to make our life a special life. Max told Kim, I remember Max Sim, some of you remember her. She was in the process of dying at the time Kim had visited her. And Max told Kim, make every day special, Kim. And she said when she'd have her quiet time, she'd put a little candle out and she would just get the room ready because you know what? She wanted her time with Jesus to be special. I'm just, okay, I got to grab my Bible. It's time. I put in my time, but no, I'm meeting with Jesus and I want to make this a special time. So she arranged her room and her table in a way to have a special time with Jesus. How are we making every day special in the context of Jesus? Well, how about when it comes to enjoying our mate or our special friend that God has given us? You know, let me speak to those that are married in this context. This is true for those who are widowed or single because Jesus said they'll know us by our love. But you know, in Ephesians 5, if you remember right, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the picture of the relationship of Jesus with his church. And the way that Jesus has laid down his life for his people and the church become the picture of how Jesus' people respond to him. Then he takes that and applies it to husbands and wives. Husbands, you should be laying down your life for your wife to help her become all the person God's creator because that's why Jesus did it for us, to sanctify us, to present us spotless before the Father. So husbands, I should be laying down my life for my wife to help her become all the woman God created her to be. And wives, responding to your husbands with submission and support and help, being a helpmate, a submissive helpmate. And that's a whole nother story for those who want to read in modern day feminism and saying, you're saying all women are whatever. That's not where I'm going. If you've been around here, you know that I have time to do a whole sermon on that every time I talk about it. Because God has given the wife and the husband absolutely equal in their value, in their giftedness, in their personhood, just different in their functions. But the two come together to picture the relationship between Jesus and the church. So let me ask you, I remember Kim and I years ago, was on the other end, was while we're still dating, I remember sitting into, we, we prayed, God, would you use our marriage to glorify you? We weren't even married yet, but we knew we were getting married. We were engaged and said, God, we're just giving our life and our marriage to you and asking you to glorify yourself with it. So my question to you is, are you thinking of your marriage in the context of a model for other people to help other believers understand and also a witness for those who don't know Jesus how Jesus' love looks like to them and how the response to Jesus should look like to us. And then finally, living life to the fullest. John 10.10 says this. The thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. He's speaking about Satan there. Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Fullness of life comes from Jesus. There's a peace missing without Jesus being in what we're doing. It'll be fun, but abundance and fullness of life can only come through a proper relationship with Jesus. Colossians 3:23 says this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartedly, wholehearted as for the Lord rather than for men. Living life to the fullest is recognizing that a full life can only come from Jesus and living my life for the Lord and for his glory and everything I'm doing is ultimately for the Lord. Guys, this is the wisdom that Solomon gives to you and me in light of the fact that we're all gonna die. Like I said, this is a message about life today. <laughs> but the motivation for this message is the reality that there is an end to my life. And I've got an opportunity right now to live this life to the fullest. And my question to you is, do you know Jesus? Have you come to that place in your life where you recognize, you know what? I don't have Jesus in my life. And I don't have any assurance I'm going to heaven someday. And I, I know I'm not living for him. What the Bible says is we need to transfer our trust from what I can do for myself and being religious and moral enough and good enough to what Jesus did on the cross to pay the price of my sin because it's my sin that separates me from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you're a believer, I gotta encourage you, Romans 12, 1. If you're not, you know, now Jesus, you know I'm forgiven. I know Jesus lives in me. I know I got a new heart. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, this is what he says to do in light of that. Present my entire life to the Father and say, God, nothing is held back. Nothing is covered. I'm giving you the whole thing. Lord, my life and my heart, you can do whatever you want with it. You might even send me to the Philippines to work with the lungs, but there's nothing back. There's nothing held. But you say, Lord, I'm yours. Take it, it's all yours. And live our life in light of that. And guys, that's the chance for the fullest life, the most special life, and the most enjoyable life available to us in this world while we're alive. So Father, I wanna pray for us right now. And I just pray, God, would, you, would your Holy Spirit, this, I don't want people to leave here fearful. I want people to leave here and I want me to leave motivated because I recognize that there's an end put to the ball game. And Lord, my opportunities are in front of me today with no guarantee of tomorrow. So God, I just pray, would your Holy Spirit move in us, speak to each one of us as we need to be spoken, and Lord, I pray that Jesus 
would be the center of all we are, all we do, all our affections, and that, Lord, our life would be an overflow of that. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.